Part Four, Chapter Three and Four of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. Part Four, Chapter Three: Pearls and Brussels Sprouts. Disappointed and sad, Dab Dab and the Doctor started to paddle their way back. I think I'll stop in at the post office before I return to Chief Nom Nom's country said the doctor there's nothing more i can do about the pearls i suppose but i'd like to see if everything else is going all right wilkins may get caught yet by the government said dab dab and if he does we might get the pearls back after all hmm not much chance of that i'm afraid said john doolittle he will probably sell them the first chance he gets that's all he wants them for for the money they'll bring in whereas the young spoonbills appreciated their beauty. It's a shame they should lose them, and when they were in my care, too. Well, it's no use crying over spilt milk. They're gone, that's all. As they were approaching the houseboat, they noticed a large number of canoes collected about it. Today was not one of the outgoing or incoming mail days, and the doctor wondered what the excitement could be. Fastening up his own canoe, he went into the post office, and inside there was quite a crowd. He made his way through it with Dab-Dab, and in the registered mail booth he found all the animals gathered around a small black squirrel. The little creature's legs were tied with post office red tape, and he seemed very frightened and miserable. Speedy and Cheapside were mounting guard over him, one on each side. "'What's all this about?' asked the doctor we've got the fellow who stole the pearls doctor said speedy and we've got the pearls too cried tutu they're in the stamp drawer and jip is guarding them but i don't understand said john doodle i thought wilkins had made off with them those must have been some other stolen pearls doctor said dab dab let's take a look at the ones jip has the doctor went and opened the stamp drawer and there inside, sure enough, were the three pink beauties he had sent by registered mail. How did you find them? He asked, turning to Speedy. Well, after you set off in the canoe, said the skimmer, I and the thrush stopped on our way back here at the tree where he had lost the package. It was too dark then to hunt for it, so we roosted in the tree all night, intending to look in the morning just as dawn was breaking we saw this wretched squirrel here flirting about in the branches with an enormous pink pearl in his mouth i at once pounced on him and held him down while the thrush took the pearl away from him then we made him tell us where he had hidden the other two and after we had got all three of them we put the squirrel under arrest and brought him here dear me said the doctor looking at the miserable culprit who was all tied up with red tape what made you steal the pearls at first the squirrel seemed almost too frightened to speak so the doctor took a pair of scissors and cut the bonds that held him why did you do it he repeated i thought they were bristle sprouts said the squirrel timidly a few weeks ago when i and my wife were sitting in a tree we suddenly smelled the smell of brussels sprouts awful strong all about us 
i and my wife are very fond of this vegetable and we wondered where the smell was coming from and then looking up we saw thousands of thrushes passing overhead carrying brussels sprouts in their mouths we hoped it would stop so we could get a few but they didn't so we agreed that perhaps more would be coming over in a few days and we arranged to stay around that same tree and wait and sure enough this morning i saw one of the same thrushes alight in the tree carrying a package Psst! i whispered to the wife more brussels sprouts let's bag this parcel while he's not looking and bag it i did but when we opened it we found nothing but these wretched gewgaws i thought they might be some new kind of rock candy and i was on my way to find a stone to crack them with when this bird grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and arrested me i didn't want the beastly pearls well said the doctor i'm sorry you've been put to such inconvenience i'll have dab dab carry you back to your family but you know robbing the registered mail is a serious thing if you wanted some brussels sprouts you should have written to me after all you can't blame the birds for putting you under arrest stolen fruits the swinest doctor said cheapside if you'd have given him a ton of hot ass grapes he wouldn't have enjoyed them half as much as something he pinched i'd give him a couple of years hard labor if i was you just to learn him to leave the males alone well never mind we'll forget it said the doctor it's only a boyish escapade boyish fiddlesticks growled cheapside he's the father of a large family and a natural-born pickpocket all squirrels are like that don't i know him in the city bucks they're mincing ways that the folk call cute cheeky as big as it ever was pinch a crumb from under your nose and pop into an hole with it before you can get your breath boyish escapade come along said dab-dab picking the wretched culprit up in her big webbed feet i'll take you back to the mainland and you can thank your lucky stars that it's the doctor who is in charge of this post office it's to jail you really ought to go oh and hurry back dab-dab the doctor called after her as she flapped her way through the open window and set off across the sea with her burden i'm going to start right away for chief num num's country as soon as you are ready i'll take the pearls myself this time he said to speedy and hand them over to the spoonbill in person we don't want any more accidents happening to them about noon the doctor started out a second time upon his holiday trip and as gub gub jip and the white mouse begged to be taken along the canoe was well loaded they reached naim naim's village about six o'clock in the evening and the old chief prepared a supper for his guests there was very little to eat at however and the doctor was again reminded how poor these people were while talking with the old chief the doctor found out that the worst enemy his country had was the kingdom of dahomey this big and powerful neighbor was it seemed always making war upon chief naim naim and cutting off parts of his land and making the people poorer still now the soldiers at dahomey were amazons that is they were women soldiers and although they were women they were very big and strong and there were a terrible lot of them 
so whenever they attacked the small country next to them they easily won and took what they wanted as it happened they made an attack that night while the doctor was staying with the chief and about ten o'clock everybody was awakened out of his sleep with cries of war war the amazons are here there was terrible confusion and until the moon had risen people were hitting and falling all over one another everywhere in the darkness not knowing friend from enemy when it was possible to see however the doctor found that most of chief nyam nyam's people had fled off into the jungle and the amazons in thousands were just going through the village taking anything they fancied the doctor tried to argue with them but they merely laughed at him then the white mouse who was watching the show from the doctor's shoulder whispered in his ear if this is an army of women doctor i think i know of a way to deal with them women are terribly afraid of mice you know i'll just go off and collect a few in the village and see what we can do so the white mouse went off and gathered an army of his own about two hundred mice which lived in the grass walls and floors of the huts and then suddenly they attacked the amazons and began nipping them in the legs with shrieks and howls the fat women soldiers dropped the things they had been stealing and ran helter-skelter for home and that was one time the famous amazons of dahomey didn't have it all their own way the doctor told his pet he could be very proud of himself for he was surely the only mouse in the world that ever won a war chapter four pearl divers the next morning the doctor was up early after a light breakfast it was impossible to get any other kind in that poverty-stricken country yes nyam nyam the way to the harmerton rocks and the chief told him they were just beyond sight from here about an hour and a half's paddle straight out into the ocean so the doctor decided that he had better have a seabird to guide him and dab dab went out and got a curlew who was strolling about on the beach doing nothing in particular this bird said he knew the place quite well and would consider it an honor to act as guide to john doodlittle then with jip dab dab gub gub and the white mouse the doctor got into his canoe and started off for the harmerton rocks it was a beautiful morning and they enjoyed the paddle though gub gub came very near to upsetting the canoe more than once leaning out to grab for passing seaweed which he had noticed the curlew eating finally for safety's sake they made him lie down at the bottom of the canoe where he couldn't see anything about eleven o'clock a group of the little rocky islands were sighted which their guides said were the harmerton rocks at this point in their journey the mainland of africa was just disappearing from view on the skyline behind them the rocks they were coming to seemed to be the home of thousands of different kinds of seabirds as the canoe drew near gulls terns gannets albatrosses cormorants, auklets petrels wild ducks even wild geese came out full of curiosity to examine the stranger when they learned from the curlew that this quiet little fat man was none other than the great dr doolittle himself they passed word back to the rocks and soon the air about the canoe was simply thick with wings flashing in the sunlight and the welcome to their home that the seabirds screeched to the doctor was so hearty and noisy you couldn't hear yourself speak it was easy to see why this place had been chosen for a home by the seabirds the shores all around were guarded by half-sunken rocks 
on which the waves roared and broke dangerously no ship was ever likely to come here to disturb the quiet life of the birds indeed even with a light canoe that could go in shallow water the doctor would have had hard work to make a landing but the welcoming birds guided him very skilfully around to the back of the biggest island where a bay with deep water formed a pretty sort of toy harbor the doctor understood now why these islands had been left in the possession of the poor chief no neighbors would consider them worth taking hard to approach with very little soil in which crops could be grown flat and open to all the winds and gales of heaven barren and loathsome they tempted none of the chief's enemies and so for many many years they remained the property of niam niam and his people though indeed even they hardly ever visited them but in the end harmattan rocks proved to be of greater value than all the rest of the lands this tribe had lost oh i think this is an awful place said gub-gub as they got out of the canoe nothing but waves and rocks what have you come here for doctor i hope to do a little pearl fishing said john doolittle but first i must see the spoonbill and give her this registered package dab-dab would you please try to find her for me with so many millions of seabirds around myself i wouldn't know how to begin to look for her all right said dab-dab but it might take me a little time there are several islands and quite a number of spoonbills i shall have to make inquiries and find out which one sent you the pals so dab-dab went off upon her errand and in the meantime the doctor talked and chatted with various seabird leaders who had already made his acquaintance at the great conference in the hollow of no man's land these kept coming up to him anxious to show off before their fellows the fact that they knew the great man personally and once more the doctor's notebooks were kept busy with new discoveries to be jotted down about the carriage of mail by birds that lived upon the sea the birds who at first followed the doctor in droves around the main island wherever he went presently returned to their ordinary doings when the newness of his arrival had worn off and after dab-dab had come back from her hunt and told him the spoonbill lived on one of the smaller islands he got back into his canoe and paddled over to the rock she pointed out here the spoonbill was waiting for him at the water's edge she apologized for not coming in person to welcome him but said she was afraid to leave her babies when there were sea eagles around the little ones were with her two scrubby greasy youngsters who could walk but not fly the doctor opened the package and gave them back their precious toys and with squawks of delight they began playing marbles on the flat rocks with the enormous pink pearls what charming children you have said the doctor to the mother spoonbill who was watching them proudly i'm glad they've got their playthings safely back i wouldn't have had them lose them for anything yes they are devoted to those pebbles said the spoonbill by the way were you able to tell me what they are i found them as i wrote you inside an oyster they are pearls said the doctor and worth a tremendous lot ladies in cities wear them around their necks oh indeed said the bird and why don't the ladies in the country wear them too i don't just know said the doctor i suppose because they're too costly with any one of those pearls you could buy a house and garden well wouldn't you like to keep them then asked the spoonbill 
I could get the children something else to play with, no doubt. Oh, no, said the doctor. Thank you. I have a house and garden. Yes, doctor, Dab-Dab put in. But you wouldn't be bound to buy a second one with the money you would get for the pearls. It would come in real handy for something else, you know. The baby spoonbills want them, said John Doodle. Why should I take them away from them? Balls of pink putty would suit them just as well. Snorted <laughs> Dab-Dab. Putty is poisonous, said the doctor. They appreciate the beauties of the pearls. Let them have them. But, he added to the mother spoonbill, if you know where any more are to be found, I should be glad to know. I don't, said she. I don't even know how these came to be in the possession of the oyster I ate. Pearls always grow in oysters, when they grow at all, said the doctor. But they are rare. This is the point that most interests me, the natural history of pearls. They are said to form around a grain of sand that gets into the oyster's shell by accident. I had hoped that if you were in the habit of eating oysters, you could give me some information. I'm afraid I can't, said the spoonbill. To tell you the truth, I got those oysters from a pile which some other bird had left on the rock here. He had eaten his fill, I suppose, and gone away. There are a good many left still. Let's go over to the pile and crack a few. Maybe they've all got pearls in them. So they went across to the other side of the little island and started opening oysters. But not another pearl did they find. Where are the oyster beds around here? asked the doctor. Between this island and the next, said the spoonbill. I don't fish for them myself because I'm not a deep diver, but I've seen other kinds of seabirds fishing in that place, just about halfway between this island and that little one over there. I'll go out with her, doctor, said Dab Dab and do a little fishing on my own account. I can dive pretty deep, though I'm not a regular diving duck. Maybe I can get some pearls for you. So Dab-Dab went out with the spoonbill and started pearl fishing. Then for a good hour and a half the faithful housekeeper fished up oyster after oyster and brought them to the doctor on the island. He and the animals found opening them quite exciting work, because you never knew what you might discover but nothing was found in the shells but fat oysters and thin oysters. I think I'd like to try a hand at diving myself, said the doctor, if the water is not too deep. I used to be quite good at fishing up sixpences from the bottom of the swimming pool when I was a boy. He took off his clothes, got into the canoe, and paddled out with the animals till he was over the oyster beds. Then he dove right down into the clear green water, while Jip and Gub-Gub watched him with intense interest. But when he came up, blowing like a seal, he hadn't even got an oyster. All he had was a mouthful of seaweed. Let's see what I can do, said Jip, and out of the canoe jumped another pearl fisherman. Then Gub-Gub got all worked up, and before anybody could stop him, he had taken the plunge. The pig went down so quick and straight he got his snout stuck in the mud at the bottom, and the doctor, still out of breath, had to go down after him and get him free. The animals by this time were at such a pitch of excitement that even the white mouse would have jumped in if Gub-Gub's accident hadn't changed his mind. Jip managed to bring up a few small oysters, but there were no pearls in them. I'm afraid we're pretty poor fishers, said John Doodle. 
Of course, it's possible that there may not be any more pearls there. No, I'm not satisfied yet, said Dab-Dab. I'm pretty sure that there are plenty of pearls there. The beds are enormous. I think I'll go around among the seabirds and try to find out who it was got those oysters our spoonbill found the pearls in. The bird that fished up that pile was an expert oyster diver. So while the doctor put his clothes on and Gub-Gub washed the mud out of his ears, Dab-Dab went off on a tour of inquiry around the islands. After about twenty minutes, she brought back a black duck-like bird with a tuft on its head. This cormorant, doctor, said she, fished up that pile of oysters. Ah, said John Doolittle, perhaps we shall find out something now. Can you tell me, he asked the cormorant, how to get pearls? Pearls? What do you mean? said the bird. Then Dab-Dab went and borrowed the playthings from the Spoonbill's children to show him. Oh, those things, said the cormorant. Those come in bad oysters. When I go oyster fishing, I never pick up that kind, except once in a while by accident, and then I never bother to open them. But how do you tell oysters of that kind from the others? asked the doctor. By sniffing them, <laughs> said the cormorant. The ones that have those things in them don't smell fresh. I'm frightfully particular about my oysters. Do you mean to say that even when you were right down under the water, you could tell an oyster that had pearls in it from one that hadn't, just by sniffing it? Certainly. So could any cormorant. There you are, Doctor, said Dab-Dab. The trick's done. Now you can get all the pearls you want. But these oyster beds don't belong to me, said John Doodlittle. Oh, dear, sighed the duck. Did anyone ever see a man who could find so many objections to getting rich? Who do they belong to, then? To Chief Nem-Nem and his people, of course. He owns the Harmattan Rocks. Would you mind, the doctor asked, turning to the cormorant, getting me a few oysters of this kind to look at? With the greatest of pleasure said the cormorant, and he flew out over the oyster-beds and shot down into the sea like a stone. In a minute he was back again with three oysters, two in his feet and one in his mouth. The animals gathered round with bated breath while the doctor opened them. In the first was a small gray pearl, in the second a middle-sized pink pearl, and in the third two enormous black ones. Gosh, how lovely! murmured gub-gub pearls before swine giggled the white mouse <laughs> how uneducated you are snorted the pig turning up his snout ladies before gentlemen swine before pearls in the part four chapter four <laughs>